What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Turn the Jets Live. I'm your host, Steven Zantz, joined by my co-host, Steven Russo, joined by a very, very special guest, a Jets Twitter legend, the meme god, if I, you know, if I, if I can think of another nickname for him, NYJ Matt. How you guys doing tonight? Happy to oh. be here. Yeah, thanks for having me on, boys. <laughs> I'm doing well, man. It was fun uh, getting to talk with Matt before the show, but uh, excited. Training camp now, rolling into week two. Uh, excited to get going. Steven, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I mean, we have one of the guys who, you know, broke Gase to Lincoln High School on here. So, you know, we're super excited to get into that story. But uh, before we go into, you know, the jokes and the memes and everything, um, obviously we are in week two of camp. The pads came on today. I'm curious what you guys overall thought so far since, you know, it's been a couple of days, but today is like the first day where everyone's like, it really matters. So, Matt, what are your overall thoughts so far, what you're reading, what you're hearing about the team? And, you know, obviously Zach Wilson, because there's all eyes on him. Yeah, I think it's good. You Nothing has stood out, right? Each side has had their ups and downs. Zach Wilson isn't turning the ball over. Steve, we talked about that earlier. And then, you know, defense last year was very underwhelming for me. They had a stretch of four to five games where they gave up 30 plus points. And it's good that that, you know, that front is getting to Zach Wilson. And then you think on the other side, well, how's the offensive line looking? But Overall, no news is good news coming out of camp. The only injury so far, knock on wood, is Max Mitchell um, going down for a little bit, but he should be fine. So overall, no news, good news. I'm happy with how things are progressing. The biggest leap is you want Zach to continue to control the offense and make throws like he did today. That bomb to Elijah Moore is pretty cool coming out of it. So overall, I'm satisfied to the first week. Yeah, I agree. Steven, what are your thoughts so far since we last spoke? I think Matt kind of drove the point home. No news is good news. I think that's exactly what we're looking for. So <clears throat> it seems like Zach's been a little up and down the past, uh, the past two practices, but that's fine. He's not making any like uh, catastrophic mistakes, anything like that. Um, I think probably the biggest takeaway for me is that the young guys, uh, specifically the rookies that, you know, the top four uh, draft picks are all really impressing. And it's kind of been a, kind of a rotating um, spot for them, but it seems like Brees Hall has been extremely consistent and continues to wow. Uh, Garrett Wilson has had his time to shine. Um, sounds like the coaches are ex- extremely impressed with the, uh, with Jermaine Johnson um, and then sauce is sauce and he's, uh, he's performing well too. So the nice thing is that the rookies are impressing the young guys in the receiving core too. seems like everyone's kind of had their day where Corey, Corey Davis is impressing one day. Uh, today was obviously Elijah Moore and, and Garrett Wilson has made some, uh, some highlight real catches. So all good things coming out of camp, I think overarching kind of like Matt said, um, no news is good news. Uh, no injuries, which, you know, obviously he said as well, but uh, overall just the young guys impressing is uh, probably the thing I'm happiest about. Yeah, it seems like all the rookies, you know, the first three, the first, uh, the three first round picks, excuse me, and obviously Brees have all been kind of making their their presence known since practice started. Um, I think, you know, some people feel like Zach's been very up and down, but I will say is like, if you're like looking at other teams, like beat, you know, tweeting about what's going on during pet practice, you're going to see a lot of the same things. Like they're going to see like, you know, they make a bad throw, they turn the ball over or whatever. I think the fact that he's not turning the ball over a lot, like he had that one bad interception, which people were talking about from over the weekend. But other than that, he's been protecting the ball. I feel like every time I see he's making a play, it's always like out of the, it's out of the pocket. And it seems like the offensive line can't block. But then I saw something today where Robbie Sabo was saying from Jets X factor that the offensive line actually looks pretty good. So I really don't know. And it, it all doesn't matter. Let's, let's be honest here. Like if he, if he doesn't practice well, but plays well, who cares? Like it, it's just, mm-hmm. I think, you know, we'll see how he looks in the preseason. We'll see how he looks in or like, you know, we'll hear about from the joy practices. I'm going to the Falcons joy practice. So it'll be good to see him against another team. But I also think what people forget is like 
this defense knows every tendency about Zeph. They've seen him practice so much, and obviously he sees them, so he knows how to exploit them. So it's always going to be an up-and-down battle. I don't think that he's always just going to dominate them. I mean, the Jets have still have a pretty young defense, but it sounds like it's much improved. They're not getting their asses beat like they did last year. I'm sure the floor is taking the kid gloves off with Zach Wilson too. So year two of install. Yeah. He's had a full uh, off season to, to learn the playbook even more, but I'm sure, you know, now's the time where they're probably throwing new wrinkles in. So it's not just like, you know, Zach reading it like the back of his hand. I'm sure there's new things that are coming in there. That's uh, that's obviously not just uh, easy for Zach Wilson to pick up on. Totally. Um, So Matt, Obviously, one of the biggest, you know, controversies or, you know, discourse from the offseason was Mekhi Becton. And when Steven and I did our last show, it was right before he passed his physical. So we were like hoping for the best. What are your thoughts now, knowing that Mekhi Becton is, you know, practicing, he's in a you know, good shape? I feel like, you know, we should be like so excited. And it's like all that conversation just like died. And it's a good thing. But like, what are your thoughts on Becton so far from what you've heard and seen? Yeah, I'm a Becton guy. I get why fans are critical, right? It, it looked like he was out of shape by all measures. And I get like getting rolled up on week one last year. Does being overweight contribute to not making it back? Maybe. There's a tweet that I said, maybe we'll get him back after the bye for the Bengals game. And in hindsight, way off. I was like eight months off on that timeline. But <laughs> look, he's an 11th overall pick. Picked ahead of Tristan Wirth. So you're hoping that you can get to that at least consistent level of a starter or even a Pro Bowl level at some point. Um, but if if he is on point and he lives up to the 11th overall pick, and that accelerates the Jets' rebuild beyond measures. You get a, a plug-in tackle that is going to play at right tackle and in the future could go back to left. And you just want to see him keep progressing. On social media, I think he does get in it with the fans a little bit too much. There's always going to be a population of Jets fans that are annoying and that say you're a bust and whatever. But the 98% of fans know that we want him to be good and want him to be a pro bowler. So coming out of camp, he looks great. I want him to keep getting stronger and then just be a dominant, like, you know, dominant tackle like he was. His rookie year, there's like a 45-minute highlight tape of Baldy breaking down his biggest hits. And he only played 11 games or 12 games um, that year as well. So hopefully, you know, build, you know, build back for, for this year. And year three is a big year for all offensive linemen, right? You see making that jump in year three, that's how you get paid. And if you want to generational wealth for your family let's go crazy this year and be a pro bowler yeah that, those are spot on points Stephen, what are your thoughts on the big ticket so far i mean same i was uh you know <clears throat> we talked last week Stephen, before uh right before they did the evaluation on the pup list and him coming off was a, a pleasant surprise so seeing him come back in the shape that he did i i'm very pleased with that but to matt's point i mean really if, if beck didn't come back and be 80 to 90 percent of the player that he was in 2020 and solidify that right side this changes the whole trajectory of this offensive line i really think that you feel really good about you know maybe the four other starters realistically definitely three of the four other starters and then connor connor Mc- Govern now, sorry, I'm going to confuse him with Connor McDermott. Connor McGovern sandwiched between Lake and Tomlinson and AVT. And then you couple AVT on the right side with, with a healthy Mackay Becton. I think it does wonders for this, for this offensive line. So getting him to return to form, I think it, it, it turns this unit from a decent to good unit into a potentially great unit. And that's something that's going to do wonders for Zach Wilson and this run game that I think is going to be a two-headed monster uh, on the backs of Reese Hall and Michael Carter. Yeah, I saw this highlight of Brees running on the right side. And I'm just like, man, if Becton stays on the field, that is just going to be so exciting to watch. Like, Brees has that ability where he could just break away. Like, we haven't had the home run hitter that he could be, like, if he's obviously lives up to all of his hype. It would just be absolutely just electric to have a guy who 
anytime he touches the ball, he's capable of going 80 yards to the house. And like with two maulers like him and AVT, like it's it's super exciting. But I'm definitely going to be more interested in Makai's pass protection because I know if you're going to talk about, you know, what he was as a rookie, his pass protection was solid, but he obviously was really dominant in the run game. I remember in the Rams game, he literally made Aaron Donald look like a child, which was like Aaron Donald makes every offensive lineman, no matter how big they are, like literally look like they don't know how to block. And Becton actually held up really well against him. And somehow the Jets won that game, which was like one of the most bizarre things, but like, Obviously, the Jets, when they're trying to tank, win a game that they don't need to win and no one expects them to. But um, I'm super excited about Makai. I'm so happy that it's like everything is like working out well for him. I obviously was critical, but at the same time, you know, I was holding out hope that he would be in shape because I'm a fan. I root for the laundry. It doesn't matter who you are. I mean, I just want this team to win and I don't want to be a doormat anymore. And that's what we've been talking about at Nauseam Steven. It's like we, we're just so tired of that. We just want competitive football. And I feel like this is the year where we're going to see all of this, you know, tanking and like rebuilding and Joe Douglas doing everything he needs to do to accumulate picks so he could get his guys. But now we're here. There's no more excuses. Yeah. I think one thing on the old line too, that uh, maybe is going unnoticed as, you know, I, I had a tweet out today saying the jets have, uh, we got playmakers at a lot of positions. We have depth at a lot of positions that uh, we're not really used to. Um, I'd say the one place that I don't feel we have like superior depth is really offensive line, specifically on the outside. But through the first part of camp, as George Fant is working through his either injury or contract status or both, seems like Chuma Doga is filling in kind of nicely on the left side. At least, you know, Matt, to your first point about no news is good news. That's kind of what it's been with Chuma Doga. So I think that's at least maybe some positive news. Maybe it just falls under the category of, you know, if it's positive during training camp, we'll take it as that. But if it's negative, it doesn't really mean anything. Yeah. But either way, for, you know, the the whole depth thing on the offensive line, sounds like Chuma Doga kind of filling in the left side for George Fant. And holding up his end of the bargain is, is some positive news early on from the backup OL that, you know, really I'm not sure how overall we feel about that group. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I've been seeing that Conor McDermott's been getting some run with the ones that think they've been like kind of just shifting between him and Chuma. And I'm just like, he's been giving up sacks like crazy. I'm like, they have to add some sort of veteran piece, whether it's a trade, if they sign someone like, I know Joe and Conor threw out Dwayne Brown as a potential example. I mean, he's old, but you know, he's like a Pro Bowl guy, even though he's old, you never know. He could be like, Hopefully it would be like Andrew Whitworth where he could just continue to play at a decent level at an old age. I wouldn't expect that, but like you, you just really never know. But my hope is that Joe Douglas being, you know, the offensive line guy that he is, that he looks for some sort of value, whether it's a guy who gets cut um, during when they're tripping down to 53 or something like that, because they need depth there desperately the tackle spot, because we don't have Morgan Moses walking through that door this year, which is a scary thought to think Mm -hmm. because we got lucky because he was solid, even though the team stunk, but if he, whenever we had all those injuries on the line, I think he did miss a game or fan missed a game because of COVID or something like that. It was, it was a scary sight to see with Feeney and McDermott playing <laughs> tackle and center. <laughs> um, sure. But yeah. So Matt, we know obviously you, your claim to fame is specifically around a certain rumor, but it was proven true or, you know, I don't know if it was actually true, but people thought it was true of mm-hmm. breaking the Adam Gase to Lincoln high school story. So like, Tell us, like, what happened with this? Like, how did this happen? Like, obviously, most people who follow you know that you are a parody account. Like, you're just messing with everybody and you're trying to make people laugh because our team has made us all miserable for a while. But, like, how did this, like, blow up the way it did? 
Yeah, I mean, I always hope my account at least provides good takes, but also provides fun when, in times of you know terrible things happening or just a general everyone's bored, throw something out there that's fun. And that was a moment where I was bored and I truly don't like Adam Gates. Like I know it's football and everything and he's a guy with a family. I truly think he's a narcissist asshole who like <laughs> took the third overall pick of our team. And I know Sam Darnold, right, didn't perform well. I get everything, but he, I thought he was the guy and I think Gates was a, a huge factor in him just regressing beyond measure um so i was bored one day and i looked up where, where adam gase is from and i found a high school around that area <laughs> and i just said you know and i i always make tweets thinking that that like the fake tweets that there's gonna i'm gonna throw something in that people know it's not real and that's where i put that he's the offensive coordinator not the head coach and i'm like if i'm saying he's the <laughs> oc people are gonna get like some people might fall for it but most people will get it so I said, yep, Adam Gaze has accepted the job at his local high school in Ypsilanti, Michigan, Lincoln High School. He's going to be the office coordinator. And, I, and that was it. And I left my phone. It's one of those moments where I didn't look at my phone for an hour and I look back and it has a thousand likes and it's oh nonstop people talking about it. Carton Roberts, Michael K show, everyone kind of had a, a little segment, like a two minute thing on it. And even Boomer uh, Esiason was like, oh, good for him back in football. Like, that's cool. That he's helping out the community. And in my head, I'm like, oh, shit, that's, that's made up. And I just hope and pray that somehow that made it back to him. Like one random friend being like, dude, this is out there. Because it was posted on a few different um, forums. But yeah, completely fake, made up, not true at all. And, and I'm happy that I went out there and had a good time with it. Because still to this day, I hear stories of like, Justin Gray was on a podcast recently and he DM me and said, yeah, the, the guy I was talking to thought it was real to this day. So those are some fun moments, but yeah, I had a good time with it. It <laughs> was one of the funniest things <laughs> because like, I remember there was articles about it. Like people like, not even just like the people on like WFN and ESPN New York, like there were people who literally like reported this as if it was like a real thing, just citing you saying it. it wasn't <laughs> even to this day, I'll see a tweet that gets sent my way. It's like, if you're ever having a bad day, just remember that Adam Gates went from an NFL coach to an offense coordinator high school. <laughs> and that tweet will get like, like 4k likes like a week ago. And I'm like, how did that get brought back up? So that, yeah, it was, it was crazy that that happened. Does do part, does part of me feel bad? Absolutely not. I think he's a terrible <laughs> coach, a bad guy. And I'm, I'm happy that we can make some, you know, light, light jokes towards his way. Nothing malicious at all, but it was fun. It's so funny that the part that you think would be like unbelievable is that he took the OC job at his, <laughs> at his hometown high school. Like, yeah, that like, if you watched his Jets tenure for those two years, you'd think that's absolutely within the realm of possibility, right? Definitely. The high school tweeted at me, Lincoln high school, like the actual high school Twitter account. And so this is not true. Our coach is like the gym teacher. who's a great guy. Like they were having fun with it. Um, like someone DM me that like the principal, like made a joke about it somewhere. Like the whole thing was great. Um, but yeah, one of those, you know, I can't believe looking back at my phone an hour after it went live and I was like, Oh Jesus took on a life of its own. And like my mom follows my account. She's like, you might want to delete that. Like he could see that. And I'm like, Nope, that's staying up. I'm pinning that tweet. You know? Well, you're not going to get any sympathy for uh, Adam Gase on this show. I think we're with you. I've, you know, there's stories. I think Connor Hughes kind of defends how, how good of a guy Gase is behind the scenes. But I think you're right, man. That, that 2019 season had a chance to be a pivotal offseason, similar to the way that this one was. And uh, the second they hired Adam Gase, it just it, it all went awry. And, and that uh, we were never able to recover. I mean, even the, you know, the C.J. Mosley, Le'Veon Bell moves, uh, stuff like that, that gave the, uh, the season and the Jets hope. Um, I think really just crumbled anyway, well before that, when they brought Adam Gase in. Yeah. 
That's a hundred percent true. Um, you know, it's funny though. When I, and I think Steven, we've talked about this before. Like I remember during that off season, obviously nobody wanted Adam Gase. I don't think there was one fan that was like, Oh yeah, this is the guy other than Manish Mehta, who like literally was like, this is the guy that's going to take Sam Darnold to the next level. Not one person was happy. I will. And I know I was wrong. Cause I think about it, what this guy is now. I want to Mike McCarthy so badly. I know I'm not in the minority. I know that some people wanted like Cliff Kingsbury a.k.a. Drew from Jersey to get him and, you know, drafting Patrick Mahomes to score all the points. Um, but, like, I just think that with McCagden in charge, there was just really no – there was no circumstance that this was going to work out. I mean, obviously, we were all just holding out hope that Sam could just fix everything. But mm-hmm. what we've learned as Jets fans is that it doesn't matter, like, the quarterback unless it's just, like, a one-of-one, one, which typically there aren't that many of those – hence the one of one it's it's got to be from the top and it's got to be all the personnel moves all the right like the coaching staff not just the head coach the people that he's bringing on the staff because if you don't have a good staff it's just it's not going to work you have to just be able to develop your own coaches so either way it wasn't going to work no you're you're right Stephen. i mean you were you were all in on mccarthy i was all in on matt rule um or kingsbury you know, which, and then hindsight being 2020, right? You're like, you're sitting there like, you know, Matt Rule probably wouldn't have worked out very well either. But I think we were, regardless, to your point, um, everybody was kind of in the camp of anybody but Adam Gase. But I guess thinking back, revisionist history, all that, we got to be thankful that we got him. We powered through two years of hell. He brought Joe Douglas here, who eventually got Robert Sala, drafted Zach Wilson. I think we're on the path here to uh, back to relevance. So, Matt, what do you think? Where were you in the camp in that 2019 offseason when, you know, Rule turned on a dime and walked away and the Jets pivoted really quickly to uh, to Adam Gase? Where did you fall? It's weird because looking back at that, a lot of weird head coaches were hired. Like, no one stands out as being, like, a great head coach. Like, you can argue Kingsbury has done some good stuff in Arizona, but, again, second half of the year, they kind of fall off. So, like I was looking through it when you guys were talking about it, like no coach stands out at the time, me and Mike, our tapes are in alignment, like 95% of the time. And we were both McCarthy guys, um, yeah. but we understand why that isn't a cool, like move. Like even right now, Dallas has a tough, tough first half of the schedule. Like if they're two and five, McCarthy's immediately in the hot seat, So he could be gone within a couple years there anyway. So um, I was team McCarthy at the time. I get why people were like, that's boring, but that once Adam Gase was hired, no one liked it. it. It was a brutal moment. And then you kind of sit back and you then talk yourself into at least saying, okay, he's done okay stuff in Denver. Maybe he takes a young quarterback. And we have an offensive mind head coach for the first time in a while. And like, you try to talk yourself into it. And I want to go back in the time machine and just punch myself in the face because it was never going to work. It was idiotic to think so. And the worst part about it is that year they start one and seven. Everything's terrible. Sam has mono. And then they win these bullshit games down the stretch. They go seven and nine. Everything, everything, you know, went wrong that year. And then to capitalize on 2020, the, the, the worst season of any season that I think I'll be a part of for my entire life, hopefully. Um, just absolutely brutal. And that was when I first made my Twitter account. So the Jets have won six games since I've made my account two years ago. So I could be potentially a reason why the Jets have not turned it around yet. I was going to say, should we it's, get you kicked off Twitter? <laughs> yeah, get me banned. <laughs> Honestly, man, it's crazy. You look back in, the, in that offseason and the, the whirlwind of head coaching hires. You got Kingsbury, the Browns hired Freddie Kitchens, the Broncos with Fangio, uh, the Packers go Matt LaFleur. Obviously, that's worked out. The Bucs went Bruce Arians. That worked out for them. You got Adam Gase to the Jets. The, bangers, the Bengals get Zach Taylor. And then the Dolphins with Brian Flores. So it's been, I mean, that is as 
wide of a berth as you could, uh, you could imagine for what seven or eight head coaching hires in that off season. That's I don't think Arians would, I think the whole thing with Arians wouldn't take an interview with the jets because he was best friend with Todd Bowles. Exactly. Because they fired balls. Right? Yep. And he would have been my one a, I think Arians he, is a great coach. Absolutely. Yeah. That would have been, that would have been awesome. I mean, I know people have their opinions, but he's a, he's a good head coach and players absolutely. love him. Like it's, yes. it's, like, and he's just like, he's a great quote. Like he could have been like kind of like Rex or just, he would give the media such funny things. Like mm-hmm. he, he's just like an, an honest guy. But the only thing with him and what I would have thought at the time is like, he's an older guy. How long is he realistically going to be here? Kind of like, I guess not really Parcells because he did coach the Cowboys after he left the Jets. But at the same time, you know, it, it would have been maybe good in a vacuum, but then yeah. eventually it probably would have ended that's, quickly and fizzled out, you know. That's the best comparison with Arians and Parcells. Parcells was always one foot out the door to retirement. I think Arians the same way. And look, he passed the baton to Todd Bowles already. So that's three years that he was there, you know, and, and gets the Super Bowl, gets to the playoffs, and then passes the baton. I mean, that's – but, I, I yeah, I think, uh, Matt, you're right. It's because his uh, his closeness with Todd Bowles, he wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't interview with the Jets that are just, uh, you know, uh, in favor of him. Definitely. Um, so we could both transition a little bit back to the team. I felt like we had to touch on the Gase, Gase the Lincoln High School yes. story. Um, I'm curious, like, is there any guy that you're either of you are curious about? And I'll, I'll start with Matt, who has either been surprisingly good or has been surprisingly quiet during the first week, uh, first week of camp. And I guess if you want to start beginning of week two today, but like, Matt, is there anybody who's caught your eye so far? Overall camp, I think Garrett Wilson's the guy that stands out because we went after last year and and we were all probably hyped about more Carter, like two young developed guys going to be through our system, skill guys. And then you fast forward and you got two guys at higher potential value and Brees Hall and Garrett Wilson, just to add them to the mix. So you're like, holy shit. Now we have four young guys that we can groom. Becton comes back. You get a pro bowl left guard. So everything's kind of coming up jets right now. And, and all you need is a, you know, Zach Wilson in the first quarter, not to complete 30% of his passes, which he consistently did. We got to be better there. But the one guy, I think Garrett Wilson, the offensive side, if he can legit be a top 10 pick, like he was drafted to be and, you know, go off for a rookie year, 65 catches and an offense that might allow for, you know, Davis, Barrios, Wilson, more, all of them can eat, right. That'd be great. And on the defensive side of the ball, I would love for Quincy Williams to have a good year because if he has a good year, that makes everything else smoother. Cause I have a lot of faith in Lawson, Quinnen, Mosley, Reed and sauce. I think we'll be fine. But if like one random guy, like a waiver pickup, like Quincy Williams can take what he did well last year, be better in coverage. That's a guy on the defensive side of the ball that if him and Quan and whatever they want to do with the linebacking core can pop, this team could be really good because he plays with his hair on fire every play and a defense needs that. Yeah, definitely. Steven, what about you? Is there somebody who's caught your eye in a positive light or someone who's been a little bit more negative because they haven't made any sort of impact so far? No, honestly, I think um, as expected, but probably a little more so than what I was really anticipating is Brees Hall. Um, I think the crowd's going nuts for him uh, is awesome to hear. But overall, just, you know, really thinking what a healthy old line and what guys like Brees Hall and Michael Carter can do behind it in a LaFleur offense, knowing how run heavy it's probably going to be probably, especially in the, you know, the early stages of the season, but knowing that Brees Hall has that ability to be that, that game breaker slash power runner um, and knowing that he's performing well early on in camp, that just, it, it's, it's, it's awesome. I think, 
that pick overall kind of surprised a lot of us, you know, um, getting three first rounders trading back into the first round and then knowing, you know, after the fact that the Jets wanted to move back up into the back end of the first round again to make four, um, ultimately falling short, but still getting him in the top of the second round for a running back, which is just awesome. Cause I, f- I feel like there's a sense of, uh, you know, kind of like they're playing with house money. Like, listen, we got these three first rounders. Let's go after another one. Let's, let's get the, you know, the 17th or 18th ranked guy on our board. Um, I love the fact that they did it. And I think, you know, the whole don't draft a running back early sentiment is going to go out the window once we see this guy play come September. So I'm excited that, uh, that he's been as good as advertised, maybe even better uh, throughout the first week of camp. For all the people who said that, like, you know, salary cap Twitter, you know, analytics Twitter, it's like, have you seen the guys the Jets have been trotting out there like since Bilal Powell? It's been, yeah. I, I guess, Chris Ivory as well because he was the, kind of that same era. It's been so average at best. Like we were all holy up hope that Ty Johnson would be really good last year, and he sucked. He yep. can't catch. Like, I'm sorry, he's going to be cut probably within the next week or two. And, like, I was hoping for the best with him. Brees can catch. If you watch him at um, Iowa State, he actually has the ability to be a dynamic running back, not just as a runner, but as a receiver. And, obviously, MC could do it as well. And, like, the Jets have so much young talent at the skill position. We haven't seen this. Like, this is the best skill uh, across the board since 2015. And you got to remember, Marshall was in his 30s. Decker Mm -hmm. was in his late 20s, if not 30. And, you know, they didn't really have the young piece other than Quincy Nunwa, who obviously had a great 2016. Yeah. But, like, all these guys are young. Corey is, like, the the old guy. I guess CJ Uzama is also the old guy. And they're still not that old. So, yes. I agree with you. It's just – it's super exciting just to see that these pieces are here. And they're here for the long haul, assuming yeah. that they all pan out to be what we're hoping for. Um, but kind of going back to, like, a guy who's caught my eye, it's actually been George Fant. And obviously he hasn't practiced you know, in team drills. He's done stuff off to the side. And I know a couple of us in TOJ were talking about like, is he holding in or is he hurt? Because you really don't know. Cause you've seen a lot of guys, you know, they had the Debo's of the world. You had DK who were like off to the side of practice. They were, you know, not holding out. They're holding in, meaning they're there, but they're not going to do anything until they get a new contract. I, I think that this contract is going to get worked out. And I think ever since they solidified the move of putting back to the right side and him being staying at uh, left tackle, I do think this will work out. I'm just like, I want him to be practicing. I don't want to hear about Connor McDermott or even Chuma Doga just giving up a million sacks. We need this offensive line to jump. They haven't played as a unit together and we need to see what they can do. It's, it's just, it's a little frustrating, you know? I hear you. I agree. Going back to the, uh, the young talent point, Stephen, I think you bring up a, a great one. And really, I mean, you, you equated to 2015, but 2015 clearly was an aging veteran unit that yeah. was really built for one year, kind of a flash in the pan, riding a hot hand of Ryan Fitzpatrick, which fizzled out, you know, obviously in 2016 pretty early. Um, but this 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 team right now with the weapons and to your point, young weapons, man, is really built to last, which is awesome. I mean, you think about guys like Tyler Conklin. I think he's 27. You talk about Corey Davis, who's probably the the elder statesman on the, in that receiving core, who's what, 28? Rest of the guys are 24, 25 or younger. Yeah. Two young, you know, first uh, first year running back, second year running back and Brees Hall and Michael Carter. I mean, this this team, when you think about it, really, if, if things hold true, which if things come to fruition, like we think they're going to, this is going to be a team that really is built for years to come. And it's, it's awesome to see. So we just hope they can take that uh, behind Zach Wilson. They can take the, kind of that second year leap. Matt, what are your thoughts, man? on just the weapons overall and the, uh, the youth and depth they have at uh, kind of every position now, which is something we're not used to. <laughs> I mean, they've improved so much year over year. Again, get a guy, Bruce Hall out of the car, get a pro bowl left guard. 
Bechton coming back. You get two tight ends and a young tight end in the draft. You add Garrett Wilson. You're like, holy shit, this is like a legit team. And can everyone eat when you have this many weapons? It's like the first time you've ever had that problem. But yeah, it comes down to Zach. I, I, I like Zach. I, you know, first quarter, he obviously struggled this year. He did pick it up middle of the game and then some garbage time yards. But like the one thing that it's tough for me, I want to see what you guys think. Like the Buccaneers game was so damn cool. Zach like dueled with Tom Brady, home environment. I had COVID, but felt great at home watching the game. <laughs> and then you fast forward, and I get it. Buffalo, end of the year, cold. I get it. But outside of a Keelan Cole touchdown, he throws for like 38 yards in that game. And that's like what my brain, I'm just trying to say, okay, clear that game from my memory. Look back at like the first half of the Eagles game where they put up 18 points out of nowhere. And then I think Alex Kessman couldn't make an extra point. Like that is what I want Zach to do. And maybe with these weapons and another year of LaFleur with them and LaFleur up in the booth, not on the sideline, maybe we're going to see that jump. But from your guys' perspective, do you think Zach Wilson's going to take that crazy leap or do you think he can get to a let's get better each year step and maybe be like a top 18, top 20 guy this year, win seven, eight games, and then really explode the year after? I think the latter is probably the more realistic path. Um, and Matt, honestly, I'm with you. I mean, you got to take everything, uh, for what it's worth. I mean, I think I said on our show uh, last week, Stephen, that I was a guy that came out of the 2018 season with no doubt in my mind that Sam Darnold was the, the future of the franchise and the guy, you know, based on the last four games. So, um, I wouldn't take just the bucks game, uh, and say, you know what, that's the reason. And that's why he's going to be it. But I also wouldn't look at the Buffalo game to end the season and say, well, you know what, that's the reason why he can't do it. Right. Um, I think both of those games, he pretty much played with, with an arm tied behind his back. I mean, Steven alluded to it early on in the show. They had, I think both tackles were hurt in that game. They had Fant was out and Morgan Moses was out. So you're starting Nadoga and, and Connor McDermott, Keelan Cole in that Buffalo game was his top wide receiver. He had nobody else. So mm-hmm. I think it's more encouraging the fact that he went kind of toe to toe with Brady with a limited group uh with him and you know and I'll kind of overlook the uh the week 18 loss at Buffalo in the freezing cold against the obviously a rock star Bills team but um I do think that he's going to make a jump I think the jump will be significant I don't think it'll be the uh you know I don't know what I could equate it to the Josh Allen year two to year three jump or you know Patrick Mahomes I guess you could say but he really didn't start year one Um, but I think it'll be significant enough where it's you know, like you said, Matt, if it, if he comes out and he's a top 18, top 20 quarterback and he's completing, you know, 60 plus percent of his passes and the touchdowns are, are significantly more than the, than the interceptions, I think ultimately this is a good enough roster that they can actually win with that. And, you know, they'll get themselves to seven, eight, maybe nine wins where maybe it's like the AFC is so good that enough of the teams just in the AFC beat each other up. Maybe the jets can squeak out a few they weren't expected to. And all of a sudden, man, they're, they're, they're at least just in the conversation. Yeah. That great points by both of you. And like, I'm not expecting like that crazy leap. I know CJ Uzama said, it's not a matter of if he will. I'm like, okay, like, I'm glad that you feel that way. But like at the end of the day, it's not going to matter until the games actually start. I think that, Overall, he's going to take, you know, incremental steps forward. He's going to be, you know, throwing for more yards per game. He's not going to be throwing for like, you know, like in the Jaguars game, either for 90 yards. I know he had that awesome touchdown, which was like one of the highlights of the season. But I think he'll be throwing over 200 yards a game. Like, I think he'll be throwing more touchdowns and interceptions, you know, hopefully over 20 touchdowns. I think he's going to, you know, be utilized more with design quarterback runs because it is a good skill set of his. I feel like, if he is, you know, 
like the 15th best quarterback. Like, you know, he's in the top half or, you know, like Matt was saying between 16 and 20, like that's a success for this team. We I would seen... sell my soul for that to happen this year. I would do <laughs> that is that would be un, unbelievably important for this team. Yeah, like be I said this last week. I'm like be a Kirk Cousins with pizzazz, meaning like you can do a lot of the things, but you may not be like the superstar, the guy that everyone is like, you know, so excited to watch every single week or be like a Jimmy Garoppolo, like just play within the system. You don't have to be a hero. And I feel like that was something that took him a while to learn during his rookie season and you you notice like when he came back from injury, he was doing more of what the offense was supposed to be doing versus him just trying to do things off platform and do like the crazy throws, which we want to see, but we also want him to execute like the screen passes, the slants, and not just try to throw deep balls all the time. I feel like we'll see, you know, bits and pieces of everything that we saw that was positive. Well, obviously we'll still probably see some turnovers because he does like to take chances and, you know, young quarterbacks are going to make mistakes because they feel like they can get away with everything and they don't know every system. But I do think you're going to see more of the guy you saw in the back half of the year who was protecting the football. You may not see the off, like the touchdown explosion, but I feel like 25 touchdowns is not a crazy thought to have. Like, I feel like he could do it. Mark Sanchez threw 25 touchdowns. I'm not saying that like it's going to happen, but it can happen. And I do expect improvements. I won't be like, you know, we're going to the Super Bowl like in year three kind of thing, but I feel like we'll all feel good about it. And like we have a guy who we're going to build around and they're going to continue to, you know, have the continuity with the coaching staff, hopefully, because that's like one of the biggest things that we don't even really talk about as much. Every single person on that staff basically came back. When was the last time the Jets didn't make some sort of changes? It's actually remarkable that they did that. And I feel like yeah. that's going to help him so much. And also just less people in his ear. You know, John Beck isn't there. Calabrese is taking on a bigger role with him, with LaFleur. So I just think there's everything is there for him to be successful. He just obviously has to prove it on the field. LaFleur in the, bo- in the booth for the full season. Yes, that's one thing. One thing that could be kind of unnoticed, but that uh, it's hard to speak about uh, unless it's like, really prevalent like after a game but I think when you look back uh, on the 2021 season and one thing the Jets were like really really bad at is contested catches like they were terrible so that's one thing now with the additions that they've made uh, specifically guys like Garrett Wilson who despite his frame can go up and get a ball and then you bring in you know really three big guys but two that are going to be you know right off the bat contributors at in the tight end room and and Tyler Conklin and and, uh, CJ Uzama those are guys that can go up and win for you. Those are big bodied guys that can go up and win a jump ball. I think hopefully then maybe you'll see uh, improved numbers from Zach and maybe um, obviously less picks, you know, cause a lot of those, uh, you know, he threw what four picks in that first New England game. Um, probably three of them were all like contested catches that our guys can come down with it. I know he had a big throw to Corey Davis along the sideline in the, in the Denver game that ultimately Corey couldn't come down with. So if that's an area where they could just improve like 50%, That'll do huge things for Zach's numbers and just overall the way we kind of feel about him as the season progresses. So just a couple of little things that I think if if they just improve in a, in a simple manner, I think you'll we'll start feeling just so much better about the way that Zach is. Garrett Wilson's going to help with that. That's Absolutely. like one of his biggest MOs is just being able to play bigger than his size. I know he's 6'1", he's skinny. But if you look at his Ohio State tape, he could do all the things that we're looking to see, you know, an outside receiver do in the sense of being able to jump up and get that ball and being physical, even though he's a skinny guy who's probably going to add some weight over time. But I, I'm also just interested to see Elijah being, you know, 100%, like, you know, knowing the playbook and like kind of being what he was during the back half of the season before he got hurt with Zach. Like, 
it, it sucked that like his breakout happened when it was Joe Flacco and Mike White, yeah. but we didn't really get to see other than the Philly game with them really connect. And I'm excited to see what that could be. I think without a doubt, I think you're going to see Elijah Moore kind of separate himself as the, the default number one. Um, I think if there's any guy that has uh, the, the best chance to go over a thousand yards this year in that receiving, all, it's it's hundred percent Elijah. I would venture to guess to say Garrett Wilson, Corey Davis have solid years, probably cover in like the 700, 800 yard mark. But I think if there's one guy you want to put money on to go over a thousand, it's Elijah Moore. Matt, would you agree? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. But like Corey Davis, if he were to be fully healthy, like there feels like there's some type of connection. Like he was almost targeting him too much last year. Yeah. So look, I, I, with how they're going to spread the ball out, even with the tight ends and the two running backs, like did someone get to a thousand? I almost would bet no, but I think you're right. More would be that odds on favorite. And I'm happy you brought up the contested catches because I could tell the 2021 story in four parts. <laughs> contested catches, they never came down with it. Everybody got tackled at the one yard line, and then we ran in a one yard, you know, touchdown. Whereas Zach could have easily had 14, 15 touchdowns. Yeah. Couldn't stop the run. And our defense has never seen a screen pass before in their entire life. It's like <laughs> those four things were brutal. And then you brought, like, we didn't talk about it yet, but Zach going, getting hurt. I feel like every year we keep saying, can the quarterback finally play every game? Because mm-hmm. even in 2015, that was a like, quote unquote last year. Me and Mike were talking about it. Fitzpatrick got hurt in the Raiders game, like in the first quarter. So mm-hmm. I think 2013, 2013 might have been the last time Gino played every game. Like that was the last time our starter really played. And then you have guys like Eli Manning that plays 280 straight games. It's ridiculous. So if if Zach Wilson can finally just give me 17 games, overall say pretty healthy as a team, that pissed me off when he got hurt last year. And I feel like there's no fight from the Jets after he got hurt. Like two late hits, brutal late hits. And your defense does nothing. They get ran ran over. Your offense has no juice or no fight back. The next week, Mike White got hit late. And Greg Van Rowan almost killed a guy. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. Now do that for your rookie quarterback who's 22 <laughs> years old and playing for his life. So I, I think overall, I, I, I want to get to one point. It's a little off track, but I want to hear your thoughts because there's a butterfly effect scenario against the Jaguars, if Trevor Lawrence isn't a little bitch and runs out of bounds and they score on the one-yard line four times that chance and they didn't do it, that one game makes the Jets have the first overall pick. If they would go 3-13, and 13, have the tiebreaker, and have the first pick. I believe. I could be wrong, but we'll, I'll fact-check that. <laughs> if, they, if they do, would you guys still go Sauce at one or two if he's available, or do you potentially go Hutchinson if he's there, Trayvon Walker? Um or Stingley, which I don't think the answer would be yes. But would you would you basically go for Aiden over Sauce if you had that pick? No, I mean, I mean, I'm sorry. I would, I would do it. Yeah. I wouldn't take Sauce there. I would 100 yes. taking Hutchinson. Like, as much as like I'm happy they have Jermaine. Like, we are. I I was actually more of hoping they would take Kayvon Thibodeau at four, but you, you couldn't pass that guy up. I feel like he was the best player people thought in the draft. I mean, obviously you could argue Sauce too, but like, no, I 100 would have took him. And then you could appro- you could have approached the back half of the first round trade up a little bit differently. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Stephen? Uh, I would. Okay. So my answer is kind of twofold. So if the situation uh, had played out where the Jets would have gotten uh, the number one pick, I would have had a heart attack for the following four months because there's no way that I would have wanted the Jets to take Trayvon Walker just because I hate 
that, uh, you know, we're banking on upside and not production. I just, I don't like that. So the discourse uh, that took place from like January to, to May when the draft actually happened, that would have had me in knots. Um, so I, I'm glad that that didn't happen. I'm glad we ended up where we did. But if it came down to us, like say at two and picking either uh, Hutchinson or Sauce, I would go Hutchinson 100% of the time. They would have had the one I just double checked. Yeah, because the Jaguars were three and 14. They win that tiebreaker. They lose to them. So, and they had the strange schedule over the Lions. So could you imagine one? It really is Trevor Lawrence being a scumbag and not scoring <laughs> a touchdown. Because I'm also one, like, I'm I'm not a – people you'll see argue, like, I want my team to win every second. Or we should lose in November and just get better picks. Like, I – theoretically, you can argue both sides. I get it. I like to see my team compete and win. And the obvious scenario is if there's that generational pass rusher like Chase Young, maybe you losing a game week 16, the Bills doesn't kill you, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's neither here nor there. But going into next year, if everything goes to plan and the Jets win seven games this year, like the three needs on this team, theoretically, are going to be like safety, center, and linebacker. And I think that's why Joe Douglas has done such a good job in this rebuild. So you don't have to worry about theoretically quarterback or O-line if Beckton stays healthy. Receivers, you're not going to touch until like day three, maybe, if you want a special teams player. Corners, no, maybe a safety. But those are all positions, safety, center, and linebacker that you're not dying to jump at. So that gives you an opportunity to trade back. You can trade for a stud. So this team is now built. I'm not only looking at this year, like long-term, your needs are a lot less than they were when he took over this team. hundred percent. That's a, that's a great point. And like, it's not like out of question if the Jets, you know, are an average team that's like on the cusp of making the playoffs, you could take, you know, a middle linebacker in the middle to like the twenties of the first round. Like that's not something that's like crazy. And it also could be the best player at his position. Like, it's, you know, I, I agree. Like you don't normally want to take a guy who doesn't have positional value, but when your team doesn't have that many holes, you can do something like that. I mean, obviously a big thing will be with like Quentin Williams, because if he doesn't have a breakout year, do they pay him? Like we don't, we don't really know what they're going to do. And then they may be looking for his replacement. So I agree with you. I, I feel like they will have flexibility in their draft, assuming that Zach continues to ascend and doesn't take a step back where they have to worry about quarterback. But yeah, it's it is crazy that little things like Trevor Lawrence is not, you know, scoring <laughs> impacts so much. I mean, you could talk to Giants fans about the difference between getting Chase Young and then getting Andrew Thomas. Like uh, Andrew Thomas ended up being pretty good, you know, after his second season. But like the potential of having Chase Young just would have been so like amazing. And you can't blame them for being a little upset about that. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, you guys. Yeah, it's, it's a very good point, obviously. And um if all if all pans out you know this year in the way we think it should uh from these positional groups yeah having that kind of the, the limited needs that you really think of as you're looking at it right now um is really a testament to the to the job that joe douglas has done and and honestly the hole that he had to dig himself out of i think was so big and it's hard to realize when you're in it but now that we're kind of looking back you know two three years to see just how bad this roster was when he took it over and just how far he's dug us out of it and listen there's still plenty of games to play right the jets won you know four games last year let's not you know crown them super bowl champs yet but uh the team that we think you know they're on the path to being i think the future is bright um and then matt going to your other point in terms of uh for rooting for losses i'm, I'm with you normally but i think once you get the quarterback man i can't i can't root for losses anymore in november and december man i just want to see 
Steve and I always joke on this show that we just want to see them in the hunt graphic. I don't care if it's oh, yeah. they're six and seven in, in middle of November or whatever it is, man, just be in the graphic. Like, please have us playing for something around Thanksgiving. Like don't have the season be dead by Halloween. That's all that I want. That's all I ask for. Matt, I'm tasking you to create a fake in the hunt graphic please. for us in like Dude. October. Yes. I'm, I'm the worst at Photoshop and video editing. I, I, I fail upwards when I, when I complete those, but you're right. The in the hunt graphic is something that Mike and I have talked about for a long time. I think there's a graphic out there from 2017, the McCallan year. They're like three and two playing New yes. England, the ASJ game. I think there were three and four, three and five. And there's an in the hunt graphic. I got to find it and look back through those games because me and Mike swear that we had that. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, they were a surprising three and two that year. Like it was weird. Everyone expected them to come out and be like the worst team in the league, one and 15, 0 and 16. And somehow behind McCown, we started three and two and that early in the hunt. Yes, I love it. If, you if, McCown, if McCown doesn't get hurt, I truly believe they could have won like eight games. Like, <laughs> I know it. Bryce Petty was so unwatchable. I remember just watching him oh, like this bad. is it was it was just terrible. Bryce Petty had one moment as a jet as a jet when he, he played the 49ers and he came back when we were losing, I think like yeah, 17 overtime. Yeah. yeah, like that was like his only moment, and then he was terrible any other time he had spot duty. Yep. But yeah, like Josh McCown was like they had so many <laughs> chances. It, it's just crazy. The um, other petty moment was when they were playing Miami. I think it was Monday Night Football. Yes. And and the line just didn't block for him and he got murdered. Oh like my that, god, yes. That, that oh my video. god. That was that was terrifying. I, I know you're talking. Yes, <laughs> and, it was. And look, you brought up the be like playing meaningful games in November, December. And I feel like that ends up being like the can the quarterback final play 17 games? Like we say it yep. every year, and they just, they just don't do it. And the only knock I have on Joe Douglas, and I get killed for saying this, and I'm a Joe Douglas guy. I love him. <laughs> He's doing the right thing. But they are 3-22 and 22 in the first half of seasons under his tenure. And then people tell me, oh, you got throughout 2019. Can't count it. All right, fine. That's his then, best year. <laughs> then his record goes down. Like I, I, get, I get everything that he has to go from the ground up. I get it. But three straight years, the three of us are diehard fans, and there's thousands of them out there. We get so excited every year from the draft on, and then your team goes 1-7, and 0-8, and 2-6 and in three consecutive years, and you're dead at Thanksgiving, your family's laughing at you, you're, you're disgruntled, and then Adam Gase is sitting there with in the like the facility, and they get shut out by the 0-8 Bengals. They, oh, my they, God. Not shut out, but they got killed. Yes. Like that, Joe Douglas, you, you, it, it is unacceptable for this team, and they don't have the easiest front half. I get it. AFC North, I pray that the Bears, Lions, Jaguars, and Seahawks, we get them at some point in the first half. All of them are after week 12, which is just <laughs> fuck the NFL scheduling for doing that. Because um, I literally tweeted that morning. I was like, the four, give me two in the first half, all of them after week 12. But you can't complain about it. If you're a good team, you beat good teams. So I'm, I'm down. And I'm not saying Joe Douglas after this year is even on the hot seat because if, yeah, if they go three and 14, let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they're going to go three and 14. You just cannot be two and six or two and seven i can't allow it because we do as a fan base deserve better than that for the fourth to fifth straight year i think we're going to be okay boys but it is a bit nerve-wracking in that that they're three and 22 in the first half dude two and two at the end of september like that is the expectation that i have if they are worse if they are one and three or i don't even want to i'm not even going to say the other thing they could potentially be which has happened way too many times but two and two is is the bar that they need to meet like you, we literally have confirmation now that they will be playing Joe, Jacoby Percent in week two. Like, they easily should win that game. Like, I know people are like the Browns have talent, 
Jacoby Brissett stinks. There's a reason he's already on like his fourth team, right? Yeah. So like there, it's just, and listen, I'm not saying they're going to beat Baltimore, but anything can happen in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And they, the last time they played Lamar Jackson, I remember he actually broke the rushing record for a quarterback <laughs> in a single season. So get some payback. Like I just want them to come out and just show some fight. I mean, like, it's just, it's crazy. Like they just have to, they have to start fast. Like, yeah. I mean, we, beat the, we beat the Bengals last year with yeah. Mike White, with Mike White, <laughs> who's probably not going to be on this roster in a month. So, Matt, what was it? You said three and 22 in the I first half? I think so. It's, it's okay? one, seven, oh, and, and eight, and two and eight, two and six. And then there we go. And I think their last, we talked about this on our spaces, Stephen, last week. Their last September win was Darnold's uh, rookie opener against Detroit in 2018. Oh, my God. It's so just... it's, it's that bad. But yeah, they have to start fast. And listen, Everyone, there's always going to be the schedule excuse. It's a tough freaking AFC. It's a tough league, but nothing's guaranteed for every Bengals team from last year that takes a huge leap forward. There's a team that takes a huge step backwards. So listen, you get Lamar Jackson week one, which yeah, Lamar Jackson is a great quarterback, but week one's probably the time to get him because it's everything's unknown. Then you got Jacoby Brissett. You got Joe Burrow at home who we beat last year and you go into Pittsburgh who it's a scary team. No question, but you're playing against either Mitch Trubisky or Kenny Pickett. So you know what, Steven, to your point, dude, go two and two. Come out of there three and one. Like you, if you go one and three or zero oh and four, the season is shot again before Halloween, and we're all going to be in the same state we have been the last six years. Could you like, imagine we go three and zero and oh we, we're we're talking about sweeping the AFC North? Like imagine how hyped that week four game is. We're like, oh, we're sweeping the AFC North. Jets Dude. Twitter. Would Jets be- Twitter. Jets Twitter would be like more so unbearable. Oh like, my god. If, like if you think about it, in the Twitter era, the Jets have never been good. Like yeah. Twitter first came around like like 2008 or whatever. I mean, most people weren't on it until probably like the 2010s. Like the one really, I guess 2015 is like the one year, but even then it just, it ended so poorly. That's mm-hmm. like, it's like almost like wiped away from our memories. Yes. But like, it's like the thought of this team, like going into Pittsburgh being three and oh, it would be like, I don't even know how I would feel. <laughs> and the crazy thing is, is like, you actually look at the history of us playing the Steelers. We always give them problems. Yeah. I remember that year when we were terrible Rex's last year, they beat them. They beat them in 2019. Granted, they, it was like Duck Hodges playing quarterback. And then even the year when they were 2007 with Chad being hurt a lot of the year, they snow beat game. him then. Another snow game. But there was yeah. a snow game when they were bad. I think 2005, they beat him. So that's my point. Like yeah. they, they, for some reason, give the Steelers a lot of problems. I don't know why. And like Tomlin's one of the best coaches in the league and they're in a transition phase. So like that game is so super winnable. Like I, I personally, like, I feel like they will go two and two. They will beat the Browns and they will beat the Steelers. That's, that's what I think. I really right. believe. I that. like it. Wasn't? Yeah. Go. I'm sorry, Matt. I was just gonna say, wasn't that Rex win? Was that the the one Mike Vick started? Yes. Yes. Oh my God! What a blast from the past. Go ahead, Matt. Oh I interrupt. No, that Mike that Vick. game was one of the last times we were like in my college. We were in the intramural final in basketball, and I was like, I need to play in this game. And I was like, I missed the first half, and I remember running back to my dorm room. It was like the last time I missed a game. But thinking of week one, my do you guys go to games often, or you know? Home times. opener, home opener usually. I'll be yeah. I'll be at the Baltimore game. I just want them to win that damn game. I want to see them win a damn game in person. I know. I go to like six a year. So there's definitely like two or three once it gets to like October, November. It's raining. They're one and seven. I'm like, I'm not going to the game. But, <laughs> and then they end up playing great probably those games. Um, but looking at week one, 
my biggest fear is, is you get to the tailgate at nine o'clock. You go five hours hard. Everyone's excited. You're debating who like wide receiver four is for the game and who's going to be active. And then you sit down and the Jets hypothetically go three and out. And then the team takes a seven minute drive down the field for a touchdown. And there's a bad call. And then you blink and you're like, wait, there's six and a half minutes left in the first quarter. We're down seven, nothing. If we go three and out again, we might not see the ball till the second quarter. And my biggest problem is that I feel like our team doesn't have the ball enough and we don't like the defense can't stop the run and we go three and out. And when that happens to a team against Baltimore that can really do a good job of running the football, my biggest fear is sitting in section 309 where I sit and just staring out and saying, why don't we have the football? Zach has four pass attempts and we're five minutes left in the second quarter. And that, that cannot happen. And that's on coach Sala and that entire defense, because I can live with the offense struggling as a rookie quarterback last year and, and starting slow, that can happen. I don't want it to happen, but you're a defensive coach. You cannot give up 35 to 45 points a game and let teams run down your throat. Cannot happen. I, I agree. And what sucked for me last year, the one game I went to was the home opener against the Pats. There was that play. I forgot. I honestly forgot what happened, but it was such a game changer. Was it like a fumble with Mosley or something like that? And they they basically yes. blew, blew it dead. And it, it was should the have... first drive. They said it was forward first progress. Drive. It wasn't even close. I, and that I know. Everything. We I... would have won 10 and 7 last year if they had called that the right play. <laughs> Dude, they were like in that game. I, I It's like crazy because that threw so many interceptions in that game. But I remember there was a point I went to go get a beer and literally they had like three sacks in a row where it was like two sacks and then like a run for a loss. And like the crowd was going crazy and then they just could not do anything offensively. And it's just, I agree with you, Matt. Like you have to be able to just not come out flat. It's like how many times are they going to come out flat to start a season? It's like good teams don't do that. The good teams score. It, it was weird though, like that one year with Gase, in, I think it was 2019, they had so many games where they actually scored a touchdown on the first drive and then they yep. just didn't do anything the rest they of the They were dominant, game. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you what, you guys are painting a dark picture here, really taking the wind out of my sails, man. No, it's that my biggest tough. fear. Yes, I'm the most a- optimistic dude. I, I Every year I, I'm like thinking positive, but after being at those games and having season tickets, like the Saints game last year, I tweeted out, it is the most unmemorable game in the history of yeah. Jets football. Like, Taysom Hill ran a lot, and that's it. Like, that's all I remember from that game. <laughs> and we can't have games like that as an NFL team. They're so yeah. short. You get 17 times a year to root for your guys. That's why I fucking love the preseason. Mike has the best take ever. He goes, it's like deleted scenes from a movie. Like, they don't count, but, like, it's kind of fun to look back on. Like, we get to watch our team in 12 days, maybe now 11. 11 days play football. That's pretty damn cool. So I'm looking yeah. forward to it. I think football is starting in my mind today with pads on. And, and Steven, I'm sorry. I got to bring some more positivity back. They're going to be fine. They're going to score a touchdown the first drive. But if it doesn't go the way we expect, I'm going to have to DM you and be like, dude, I, I, I manifested a nightmare because I hate when we don't have the football. All I want to do is run plays, even if they're like – Get two first downs and punt. Like, you are allowed to do that in the NFL. You don't have to go three and out. You can get a first down and then punt. I think, no, I mean, you know, you know I'm busting your balls a little bit, bad. I think we obviously all feel that. But, like, right. honestly, you know, we joke about the in-the-hunt graphic, but Steven and I, the rest of TOJ, we kind of – just be fun. Like, just be a fun football team. Don't be, be a punchline on red zone. Like, exactly. Be, like, be like what Scott Hanson like, wow, the Jets with an, uh, with, let's check it on yeah. them instead of just like, well, the, the Jets did it again. Exactly. Even if the defense doesn't show up against Baltimore, like, so be it. Baltimore's a good offense. But let's say that Zach goes toe to toe with Lamar and they lose 42 to 38 or something I'm like happy. that. That's like, fine. that's fine. That's something you could build off of. That'd be 
much more uh, palatable than, you know, Matt, to your point, something like, you know, 27 to six and the, the Jets get railroaded and can't, you know, can't stay on the field or can't get off the field on third down or some shit like that. Like, I get what you're saying. Man. I have a, we've yeah, all been there. I have a crazy thread that I can bring back, but it was that there was no normal loss in the Adam Gase era. And what I mean by that is if you look at all the losses he had, which I think adds up to 25 or 23, right? He had 23 losses as a, as a Jet head coach. Every one of them was either a blowout embarrassment, a huge letdown, you blow a lead, or it's just an unfair, like the most normal loss that I tracked down out of his 23 was to be the Thursday night football game against the Ravens that we talked about earlier. They still lost by like 18. Mm. But when you look at it, you're like, you weren't winning that game anyway. You almost covered the spread, even though you didn't. Like all 23 of them were not normal. Like who says you can't have a game where you like, you know, you lose 28-21. You didn't deserve to win, but your team played pretty well, and you move on to the next week. It sucks, but you move forward. It never <laughs> happened under Gase, and I think there was one or two last year, you could argue. They're pretty normal losses. The team played all right, didn't get it done. But, ah, oh, God. Tampa, that was the one. That Tampa. Was the one. <laughs> yeah, Atlanta Tampa, comes to mind. Atlanta yeah. Atlanta was a very winnable game. I rewatched oh. that game recently. It's such a winnable game. Uh, there was two brutal calls, too. The first drive, they called a roughing the passer, which was a phantom call. Yes. Um, the offense picked it up in the third quarter. Uh, it, the whole thing, I feel like that was a winnable game. The The biggest deflating game was the Colts game because we were riding high on the Mike White train. Right. He goes, he has a good drive, but I think they punt. And then they score the touchdown to Moore. And then his forearm starts stops working. And you're like, <laughs> so all right, that's, that's horrible. And then Josh Johnson ends up playing great, right? He has 300 yards. But the defense was so embarrassing that game. It wasn't garbage time touchdowns. Like the Colts, it was like the third quarter and Josh Johnson was driving us down the field like seven minute methodical drives. And then the defense would give up an 80 yard screen pass. Like, was, it was the worst. I was like happy for Josh Johnson. I remember he got signed by the Ravens and he had like a really good game. And everyone's just like, that guy can play. Like he, he should have got a more of a chance when he was younger. He but yeah, Matt, that's funny. I'm going to, I'm going to do some research on this, the non-blow, that normal game. <laughs> I'm sure you guys have seen Kevin Clark always says the Seahawks have never played in a normal game because their games are just always weird. And it's like very true. There's always these crazy things that happen to them, but it seems like that's what happened in the, in the Gase era. But uh, yeah, no, it's, I just, you know, I'm also going to say, Matt, if the Jets go three down their first drive of the season, you have to delete your Twitter account. I'm, I'm, I'm making you do that. <laughs> I think the odds of that are like 50-50 probably. So like, oh, it's not a, good bet. not a great bet. But I'm just kidding. You don't have to. But um, it's it's I'm super excited, like you said. Football's here. All right, Matt, we want to make you do this since you, we probably won't be on the show until the season starts again. What's the record prediction right now? August 1st, 2022. What's the record prediction? We need to know. If I'm betting my my life on it, and I'm like I have to do my best to save me and my family, I would say seven and ten. Okay. The uh, the optimist in me, and they're over under at Vegas like five and a half, which I do think is too low. Um, I I really think the highest potential this team can really truly go, and if things kind of click right and they stay healthy. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that their offense pops and they win 10 games. I really don't. And, and it, again, I'm betting on, I'm betting on seven, I'm betting the over. Um, but I, I think they go seven and 10, but once I see the first preseason game, they win like 35 to three, I'm going to say eight, eight and nine, nine, eight, nine and eight. It'll keep going up. But I, I really think this team ceiling could be 10 wins and it's not like a crazy thought. Um, if everyone plays the highest potential because you have stars on every level like true stars i think on every level um and imagine a guy like quinn and goes off for 10 plus sacks and oh jermaine gosh. johnson as a rookie has seven 
and you have Mosley. Yeah, right. Carl could go crazy again, right? You 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 hope he comes back from an injury. And then oh yeah, you have the number four overall pick in Sauce Gardner and Jordan Whitehead. Like you keep rattling off these names that we just forget that they're still so fucking good. So I'm gonna say seven to ten and and the the hope is ten. From your lips to God's ears, seven wins will be very fun because that means this team was entertaining if they can somehow get to seven wins. Because I know the Adam Gase uh, first season, they ended up getting seven wins, but it was a very weird thing. I don't, it's, it's a different type of situation here. Um, Matt, we, we definitely appreciate you joining us. You know, we always look forward to your, your memes and you, you know, just trolling people and everything like that. It's, it's been a lot of fun. Any closing thoughts, Steven, before, you know, we wrap it up for this week. No, man, I love the positivity coming out of Matt there. Um, love, obviously, the uh, the gay stories and how that uh, that rumor mill originated. That was fun. Matt, it was a pleasure meeting you, man. Thanks for jumping on the show, dude. We're, uh, we'll be happy to have you back on in season anytime you want. 100%, man. You can bring my partner in crime on, too. Mike will have a he'll, – he'll get you laughing a good amount. But, no, it was, a, it was a great time, guys. We'll talk soon. We'll definitely do it again. All right, man. Everyone, thank you for tuning in this week, and we hope to hear from you guys next week.